Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Uh, and available for download on podcast.com, Apple Play, Google Play, and wherever you get your good podcasts and indeed some of your bad ones. Of course, we do it all to our state. Thanks to our station sponsors at Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, and your AIHL champions, the all about caring Sydney Bears. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso, and I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate Christmas Eve than with the success stories of 2019. It has been a bumper year for sport, and there is plenty to go over, especially after going over the fails last week. Now, we need a panel. And, well, I'm not going to go for a panel. I'm going to go for a partnership here tonight. Because when it comes to this, we need someone who can mix the serious and the comedy all together in one neat package. And I couldn't think of anyone better to do that with than the wise man himself, Matt Mears. Good evening to you. Oh, good evening, Mr. Caruso. Good evening to everybody, whether you're listening on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve of all days, and no better way to get your Christmas started than listening to a bit of Splinters on podcast.com or wherever you get your good or bad podcast. Great to be here to, to do the successes. Obviously, the success of myself is uh, unheralded, we know. Don't need to go into that background, so there's no better person to have on as your panellist than the success, the wise man that is Matt Mears. You really do miss Keats Polsky, don't you? Mate, I need someone to pump my tire. <laughs> I, need, I need someone. What's going on? It's, it's, it's getting He's bad. coming. He's coming. He's not far away. Don't yeah, worry. The Lord Mayor will be back very shortly. Oh, uh, you keep teasing me. I know. I know. Well, look. Obviously, last week, we heaped it on teams and individuals who stanked the room up, either from falling victim to their own hype, some of the unluckiest performances we have seen, and indeed, some of the worst in sports administration. And uh, one of your favourite organisations copped an absolute pasting last week, thanks to the Spicy Chorizo and the Ca- Canberra Kid. Which one? Oh. Uh, yeah, well, oh. Rugby Australia, obviously, and it's a hot topic here. No matter what you listen to on, on Triple H Sports, whether it's Splinters, The Bench, or on Sunday Live, I'm sure we'll always have something to say about Rugby Australia. But there is some success coming out of rugby. We, we did cover the, the bad, bad out of Rugby Australia. But seeing where, where this success is, where the positives, we get to bring the room up after the downer that was last week of the, the BFFs of... Uh, Mr. Aquilina and Rizzuto has said after after we had them together. I feel here, a bit I feel a bit cheated on to be perfectly honest. Don Rizzuto's <laughs> just dumped me by the field. He's dumped all of us. It's yeah. him and Aquilina. They're, they're best buds. They're BFS. The bromance is going on. We saw it when we when we recorded the birthday episode oh, right boy. here in the Chroma Studio. We're back in the Chroma Studio tonight. Yeah, when we, we, got we, kicked, we got kicked out of the DY <laughs> studio. <laughs> You're always kicked out of the DY studio, mate. I don't even know how you live there. Um, but. <laughs> You just park your car at the front, um, but we, they, the the bromance, the BFFs, they got to go bring on downers. We got the, the we got captain positivity here. We're going to go up, rugby Australia, go to your corner. The IRB Rugby World Cup 2019. 
the people of Japan take a bow for what a tournament it was. That is one of the topics we'll be going through today. So, as we mentioned tonight, we will look at those who met their expectations to go all the way, along with those who stunned all before us to cover themselves in glory. So, without further ado, let's start celebrating Christmas the right way, right here on Splinters. And we're going to start with our first topic, and this one actually comes from the golfing world. It's something that not a lot of people would have actually picked up on, but it is arguably the comeback of the decade. Um, Probably more than that. Not just a comeback sporting-wise, but a, a, a tale of redemption. Obviously, we're all human. We all have our faults, particularly if you're in the public eye, whether you do things that... A lot of people may do, they don't get the sort of coverage, but when you're this man, it gets worldwide coverage. To be able to overcome that, change your life up, change your complete style of play, and then go back to the winning circle, it is something that should be applauded. Of course, we are talking about Tiger Woods himself. Now, up until 2008, Tiger Woods was the yardstick. Of on which everything was judged in the world of golf. Um, he was a success story, I guess, to start off with on cultural expectations. I mean, um, the first African-American to win a major title in the world of golf, um, fitness expectations. I mean, we remember, you know, golfers of all <laughs> shapes and sizes. This is the first, Tiger Woods was the first to be, you know, lean, fit. And you mean, you mean John Daly wasn't the picture of a golfer? John Daly was peak male fitness, let's face it. But Tiger Woods was just – Tiger Woods was amazing. Um, 2008 started the slide through no fault of his through no fault of his own. Um, of course, the ACL injury that he picked up. But he said that that's, that's golf, that's sport, that's injuries. Every athlete faces it. He's had to be someone that's had a lot of pressure put on him from a young age. We, we, we've gone and seen footage where he's appearing on, t- on TV at five and six years old saying he's going to be a future champion. He had a lot to live up to. He's achieved and overachieved. And then, but when you pick up injuries like that, it's not just the physical pain and recovery you have to deal with. It's also a mental toll and a mental aspect that has to be taken into account and sometimes yeah you can fix the physical but that mental side takes a lot longer to heal and it's a funny thing you mentioned with that i've gone through the the pain of an acl injury myself it's not just the physical the immediate physical pain and Mm. obviously we still remember his performance in the 2008 um us open he won that on one leg it was an incredible performance. Oh, to see it, it was that was just mental willpower more yeah. than anything. It was I am not losing, and it was a mindset. It wasn't his body that won it; it was his mind. But you know, to come back from that, because obviously you have to go in through the surgery. You're gone for six months minimum, and then you have to retrain your body all over again to be able to deal with the physical rigors. You can do that, mm. but then it's in two that we come to 2009 when the full extent of Tiger's private life was laid bare for all to see. And obviously with the the profile that he had, anything like that, as we see in all sports, if you sort of don't play nice with others, if 
I don't want to go too much into it. Everybody knows the story, but yeah, if you if you sort of play outside your own backyard and it gets picked on by um, by the world's media, it's a story. No matter how small, big, large, or indifferent, if you're a name, it's going to get printed. No matter no matter the the cost to anybody. So. Again, when you're coming back from an injury like that, you, you're probably not in the best mental space and then have to, to have to go through something that it not just shattered his sporting life, it shattered his whole life completely. So it takes a big man to be able to admit mistakes, get over that mentally and then come back. 2018, we saw a glimpse of a potential return. He tied for six at the British Open. He got a second place at the PGA Championship. Tiger, though, roared back into life this year at the U.S. Masters. He held off the likes of Justin Don Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Jason Day to win by one stroke his first major since that 2008 U.S. Open and his first Masters victory since 2005. But he wasn't done yet because he actually picked up an award straight after. Well, he did, but I just want to mention first about how he actually won, like he's had to redevelop his whole game. When he first broke onto the scene and when he won those majors um, over 10 years ago, he was a power hitter. He could outdrive everyone in the field. Now he's had to change his game completely. With all these injuries and his age, it's brought him back to the field with the drive. So he's had to improve his his short game and his putting game. And that's what got him through to those That's what got him through for those wins. So that's just another remarkable part of the story. But when he did have that win at the, the Masters, he was awarded the US Medal of Freedom. It's the highest civilian honor in the USA. And it was presented by the president in Donald Trump for his service to the Gulf and for his support of the African-American community in the USA. So that really was the icing of the cake, the cherry on top to that comeback. And well, in actual fact, he wasn't done yet. because Jesus, remember, what, what more does he want on this gate? Well, of course, he was the captain of T Team USA at the 2019 President's Cup down at Royal Melbourne, took a big gamble. He became the first playing captain of Team USA since Hal Irwin back in 1994, and he played himself to lead the charge, especially on that last day of all the singles matches where Team USA overcame the def the massive de deficit to win the President's Cup 16-14. It was Tiger at the start. It was Tiger at the finish. Well, when you're in that sort of position, do you want to lead from the front? I do realise that when you're when you're normally in that position that Tiger was in, you you lead from off the you don't lead by example. You lead from from off the course. You you talk tactics. You you look at your your best players and ask them to do the leading, but. The form that he was in and bringing into that tournament, that just shows the remarkable self-confidence of the man and, and that will that we go back to when he won um, with one leg. That sort of willpower. The US Open in, in, in 08. In 08, exactly right. So when you can do things like that, when you can put your mind through those sort of things, yes, you can go into dark patches, but that sort of fortitude stays within you. It, and it did for Tiger. And he was able to bring it out when that was needed most for, for his um, team there. And they will be talking about this for a very long time. 
let's go to our next one. And it's it's one on a more general aspect, but it's been the rise of women's sport in 2018, indeed into 2019, continuing. And I want to bring up two events in particular. First off, the FIFA Women's World Cup and the WBBL becoming a standalone competition. Now, this year, seen the, as we said, continual momentum reached fever pitch. Australia leading the charge for greater opportunity within professionalism within women's sport. Now, we know it started four years ago and cricket was leading it when the CA announced that contracts for their international players would make them fully professional. We're talking guaranteed $100,000 a year plus match fees. Which is huge for, for athletes in their position when a lot of their peers are only semi-professional if they're lucky. Yeah. This was followed by Cricket New South Wales and Victoria. They guaranteed a minimum, I think it was at the time, $60,000. That's continuing to increase, and that's not even including payments for the BBL, for the WBBL. Which is nuts to think about, and we've seen the success of the WBBL, which we'll talk about in a minute, but for women now to have the same opportunities to be able to devote themselves to their sport of choice, and cricket, you and I both um, – won't hold back with how much uh, cricket is takes part in our hearts and, and how much we follow it and how much we know about the game. To see the increase of the skill level, just because they have that dedicated focus, they're not... It's like we've seen in rugby league and all those sports where they've gone from that semi-professional into professional as their full-time careers over the last sort of 20 to 30 years. We've seen that rise and rise very quickly from the women once they were able to dedicate themselves to their sport, and it's just been something else. Well, let's talk about the WBBL in particular. This year, standalone competition for the first time, necess necessary because you've got the Women's T20 World Cup that's going to be happening early in 2020. Um, it was a bit of a gamble, and by and large, it's paid off. I think it did. I, I, it gave them... It, it let them step out of the spotlight of the men's big bash because a lot of the games were either pushed to the side, they'd be on an outer ground while the men's game was on at the, the main stadium or it was just the game before. Uh, if they did get a run, say the Sixers got to play on the SCG, they would have to play before the men's side and you might get a few that would a few fans that would turn up early, but there was a big break in between games, so it didn't really encourage people to come early to to support the women's side but now that they had the time they had the dedicated airspace because that's something as well you got to think about is that time of year when it was on that that october november your main winter sports are over international cricket quite hasn't taken off yet the space in the newspapers the space online is there to be filled and boy, did they give them something to write about. Well, the the, it paid, the viewership actually increased by 5% to 191,000 viewers on average per televised game. And, if it, and um, kudos to Channel 7. Even though a lot of the games weren't shown on the main show, just about every match was shown on their secondary channels. So you could actually go on and watch the match. Well, yeah, but they said that there's a lot of times where they had triple headers on the one day. They'd pick one game to be on seven, mate, and then the other games would be on um, cricket.com.au. But there was always, if there was a day that they were playing, like on the weekend in that prime viewership, there was a game on yeah. for kids, for adults alike, to be able to get excited about cricket. And 
Traditionally, we don't see the build into cricket until the international start. Well, traditionally, the first test match, the, the, the Gabba, that first day, that's really the announcement of cricket. We saw Australia this year, the men's side play a few T20s and stuff before the first test. No one was really that interested in it. But with the girls' BBL, it was something to get people excited for the rest of the summer. Absolutely. The other big event um, that brought the issue around women's sport to the forefront was the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, it got to mention uh, Australia's performance um, in the show last week, and rightfully so, because really they shot themselves in the foot from the start, and then the team with the um, with the second of Alan Stadich, mm. but then the preparation with not having enough defend quality defenders in the lineup really cost them in the end. Um, team USA took the competition only after only conceding three goals, but they really went in as hot favourites to win the to win the competition, along with the likes of Australia and Japan and the Netherlands. But for mine. The big success was the turnout of people. An average of 20,000 people turning up to watch these games and a record for a women's turnout, for a turnout for a women's international match, the final 57,900 turned out, which was a seller at the Parc Olympique in Lyon. It's just staggering numbers to think about. If, if you'd been even mentioning that five years ago, people would think that, you were cracked in the head, they'd be taking you off to the psych ward. But this is what the success of women's sport across the board has done over the last couple of years, and it's just built this year. We will go back a little bit to the cricket because they have that 57,000 as the record. The women's T20 on Women's Day, March 7th or 9th, 2020, the final of the at at the, the, at MC, the team. 90,000. Can you imagine 90,000 in the MCG to watch a women's cricket match? How long would, even if I asked you that a year ago or two years ago, would you really think that that would be possible? I would have said they'd maybe fill half the stadium. I would have said, yes, that's the place to have it, yeah. but it'll be like a Stars game. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'll be a great atmosphere but there'll still be a lot of empty seats around the tier. Yeah. They have a great opportunity to sell that out. They did get Katy Perry as well to perform, which was a big coup, but I think there's still a lot of people that want to go for the game as well. It's no. going to be absolutely nuts. I think, I think Katy Perry's going to have a mind blown about the game of cricket, really. Oh, it's mostly. going to be amazing. And, yeah. and it's something good for, for, for young girls growing up where – a lot of times they had to look at the men's game and, and try and have heroes in that and then try and make it the hard way through women's sport to try and represent their country. The things you see now, I'll go back a little bit to the, the WBBL. There was a game at Tremoyne Oval and there was about five or six girls that drove down from, I think, Maitland or somewhere up yeah. in Newcastle. Um, two and a half hours it took them to get there. It was one of their birthday, and all they wanted to do was come and see Elise Perry. Yeah. And the reaction, and Elise went and saw them after the game, and it was something amazing to, to behold, and that's what sport's about. And even if it's not those girls that come up and um, represent their country, it'll be another girl yeah. that will have been watching that on TV or been at the ground 
that will get inspired. And it's just something to behold. And I can't wait to see it grow even further. Now, the success of these three sporting events, uh, these, these sporting events and competitions, not only put male-dominated team sports in Australia on notice. Definitely. Um, but it has shown, and I want to throw this one out in particular, how much netball has fallen back. Well, now, <laughs> rugby's been able to correct some of the challenges with the highly successful push of women's sevens. The long, the other codes are a long way behind, and netball. I mean, what they've dropped off amazingly over the last couple of years. They certainly have. They, they, they've always been that dominance in the women's sector. They've they've had their spot as number one in women's sport, and they didn't really do a whole lot to try and keep it. You see, cricket, football, WAFL, all those sports putting a lot of resources behind it, where netball sort of sat on their laurels. I also think with netball, now that they've gone away from the Trans-Tasman series, just back to that Australian series, it's lost a bit of that glamour around that competition as well. It's it's just a bit diluted. You might get a, a decent crowd to like a, a derby game at, out at Homebush, but other than that, they're not really on anybody's radar. They're really going to have to try and... Um, pick up their game if they want to keep competing with, with the likes of cricket and football going forward. Let's talk about who I thought, and I think you probably agree with me, was the real surprise package from this year's NRL season, and it was the Canberra Raiders. Now, there was no surprise that the competition was dominated by the three strongest squads being Melbourne, the Sydney Roosters, and the South Sydney Rabbitohs. But it was, a year, it was also a year of redemption for three teams. Two of them were mentioned very quickly. Uh, they couldn't be separated last year. They couldn't be separated again. Mm-hmm. This year was Parramatta and Manly. They finished second last and last respectively. This year they finished fifth and sixth um, as well. One team shocked everyone with their amazing run to the top four in the grand final, and it is the Canberraes. Even though they lost the grand final of the Sydney Roosters, 2019 I thought was the year that Canberra showed what they were capable of. And Ricky Stewart, I think, he, he cops a lot of flack. But this year, I think it was the first year down there, he finally had a semblance of a squad that he wanted to coach. He, he's, he'd come in and there's a lot of guys and a lot of long deals that he sort of had to put up with. Yeah. Until he could move them on. And a lot, not a lot of money in there just to pay people out to try and get new guys in. The success of signing the guys from the north of England, um bringing them across to Canberra, which is if you wanted to pick a, a place in Australia that has similar conditions to the north of England, it's Canberra. Yeah. So they were able to form a bond down there. And, and if you'd found a lot of those guys have gone to like North Queensland or Brisbane, they probably wouldn't have been as effective. But because they were playing every second week in something that's similar to the conditions that they grew up in, they had that one town team mentality. Ricky was able to play finally to the game plan he wanted to play to and a lot of Canberra has been talked about that they're very boring. They they did a lot of structure, but this year, boy, did they turn it on and they were an entertaining team to watch. It used to be that if Canberra on TV, you sort of went, oh, next. But if, if I saw Canberra on in the TV guide, it'd be, I'd make sure I'd at least watch some of that game because you were going to be entertained. Well, you know, this year, the, the other thing that needs to be mentioned about how well Ricky Stewart – um, did with the team was how well he paced them throughout the year. Um, even allowing for a lull sort of in the mid to late section that put their fourth place at risk, but they held on, but geez, they turned it on in the finals, especially with that win against Melbourne. 
it was amazing. And they'd had the wood over Melbourne throughout the year. And when you can match yourself against Melbourne, you know you're going to go far in this competition. I'll go back to Manly and the, the Manly-Melbourne rivalry, which has probably been the rivalry of the last decade. We'll, we'll talk about more about the, the things of the decade next week, but a little spoiler alert there. But it's that has been the standard bearer because Manly have been that one team under Des Hasler that Des worked out the formula. He worked out how to beat Melbourne as Melbourne. And since he's been able to do that, Manly, the one team that used to be that when they travelled down there, Melbourne hated when they came to visit. Now, Canberra can add themselves to that list. Ricky Stewart has worked out that same formula that Des Hasler was able to, to be able to work out how to play Melbourne at their own game and put them right off their own game to be able to get the W. And that's going to be the, we need to mention as well, obviously, even though the Sydney Roosters won the grand final off a, well, obviously, it was mentioned last week, some absolutely horrendous refereeing from Ben Cummins. Oh, well, we don't, yeah, we never talk about referees here on Triple H, never, Um, ever. We should give credit, of course, a piece of James Tedesco magic and really... In one aspect, he ended up being one of the key differences between the two sides, The as the Lord Mayor calls him, the Lord Mayor of Menangle. Uh, here we go. But Jack Whiten winning the Clive Churchill medal, he was outstanding in that game. Every time he touched the ball, he was dangerous. Well, it's just unfortunate for Canberra. You run into a side like the Roosters, they've been building to that. They won the comp last year. They go back to back. It's something that we never see in this day and age, but they were just on... They had a, a squad that was in their prime. They've been building towards it. Canberra, they probably overachieved this year. They, if they would have been happy with the top four, make it to the second last week, and then build again next year towards that grand final appearance. To make the grand final, I think, for Canberra was overachieving. If Rooster, the, Rooster's winning was just an achievement in my mind. Yeah. They were expected to win. Tedesco, there's nothing you can say about it. He is the best player in the game at the moment. But Canberra are only going to get better. they got more signings coming over from England that are only going to bolster their team next year. It's going to be exciting to watch. I'd love to see more teams like that in the NRL where it's a team that they may not be your team. They might not be one that you follow. But when you see them on in the TV guide or you know it's Friday night or whenever, you just want to turn the TV on, you see that the Raiders are on. You see that team is on. You know you're going to get entertained. You want to turn on that TV and watch. Well, so far, this has been pretty entertaining in its own right, but we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have part two of the successes of 2019. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Play, Google and available also at i at um, TuneIn Radio app and wherever you get your good podcasts and indeed some of your bad ones. All of them bad ones. All of them bad ones. <laughs> we'll be right back. Don't go away. The 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome 
back to Splitters, the best podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com. Google Play, Apple, Apple, and wherever you get your good podcasts and you indeed some you know, of your bad. You think you know that by now? You say it every second week, and you still stuff it up. Oh no! It's, it's, it's my time. Just look on the look on the page that Kapolsky does, and it'll tell you where we are. Right? That's all you need to know. <laughs> we are talking about the successes of 2019, following from the fails of uh, 2019, and we're going to go backwards to go forwards for our next one here, and it is talking about rugby. But we're not going to talk about Rugby Australia. Good. Because obviously we're sick of hearing about Railing Castle. I am. We already know that the marketing pigeon got a new job with Scott Morrison. So what instead, we're going to talk about the big success, which was the 2019 Rugby World Cup. It was amazing, wasn't it? It was just something that rugby needed, particularly in Australia, even though it wasn't hosted in Australia, the time zone. It was on at a friendly time for Australia to watch. There were some entertaining games. The Wallabies, they're never going to be in the, the at this stage in the forefront of the Australian people's hearts because of what's been going on at Rugby Australia. But there are a lot of rugby fans out there and there was a lot of great games on. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but I love cheering some of those underdog sides on. It was, a, it was an absolute amazing show, but what was it even more incredible? And we heard it from a couple of people who went over there. It was the atmosphere. Oh. One, of our, one of our good mates, um, Andrew Prentice, um, went over there for the, for the Rugby World Cup, and he spoke to us about how incredible it was being in Tokyo for the Rugby World Cup. The Japanese have jumped on board with this. Well, the, the opening game, Japan versus Russia, the Japanese fans that attended learnt the Russian national anthem so they could sing along. It just looked amazing on television. I can only imagine what it would have been like in that stadium with that playing. It just shows you that the culture that they have over there, the how they embrace these tournaments because it was a bit of an out there idea. It is the usual that you go back to your traditionals, you go back to the UK, you go back to sort of France and Italy, you go back to Australia and New Zealand as your main target. Maybe South Africa as well. Maybe South Africa as well, they'll get a turn too, but your main rugby territories around the world. But Japan, they've been doing well in the Super Rugby competition. How long they're going to last, I don't know. I think this shows that they should be there for a bit longer, the Sunwolves, but taking it out of its traditional base to a to a place where the people of the country got behind it. It was a masterstroke. It was probably a gamble, but it was a gamble that was worth taking. Now, really, after this, you could make a legitimate claim that the Rugby World Cup is now the second biggest team sport in the world in terms of participants. And while it still has some way to go in order to topple cricket in terms of viewership, the well, fact I think that you football had, will be up there too. But no, yeah. no, I said second biggest. I did say second biggest. Okay. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You're, putting it, you're putting it ahead of cricket, all right. Yeah. Well, in terms of participants, it is because you've yes. got 20 teams as opposed okay. to 10. Yeah, well, um, that's stupid, but we won't go yeah. into that. But in terms of viewership, mm-hmm. um, cricket's obviously number two. Rugby, in terms of participation, I think is, is going to be number two. But there are some serious records that were broken along the way here that really does put claim as to how big the Rugby World Cup is. million tickets sold. But the next one, Mizzy, there is the attendance rate. 99.3. That 
That is phenomenal. Can you imagine any competition around the world, particularly one like this, that has that much of a sell-through, particularly when you have some of those minnow-type countries playing against each other? It's just phenomenal. And that just goes back to my point about how the Japanese people embrace this competition. A new record for the biggest televised audience for a rugby match in history. 54.8 million. Japan versus Scotland. Wow. That's just shows you how Japan... And that game was... It, it, there was a lot riding on that game. There was quarterfinal spots on the line. And the way that Japan played in that competition was just phenomenal. I'm not. I'm actually not surprised to see that statistic. The average winning margin between Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations narrowed to 30 and a half points, which is a record in terms of competitiveness. And it's showing that international rugby union is becoming more and more competitive. Well, I'll tell you, if, you, if rugby league had the international that rugby union had, could you only imagine what that would happen there? If you talk to anybody that's rugby league, they would say all they want about rugby union and how it's whatever. But you can't you can't go past the international coverage that rugby union has. It, it is just ca it, it captures the world. It has the players playing. It's only going to get stronger. It keeps building. The biggest attendance at a rugby world cup final: seventy thousand turning out to Yokohama International Stadium. And what a, what a sight it was. It, absolutely phenomenal. It just shows that if you run something right in rugby, people want to come and watch. So hopefully Rugby Australia was taking a couple of notes. To be fair, they probably weren't. Now, obviously we mentioned Japan reached the knockout stage of the Rugby World Cup for the first time in their history. They went down to South Africa, but it has to be said, they weren't disgraced. Oh, hell no. They, they were probably one of the best performed sides in the competition. It wasn't a fluke that they made it. They deserved to be in that knockout stage. And to go down to the eventual winners, it was a close game. They had nothing to be sorry about, the Japanese And, and of course, New Zealand didn't win. Yes. I still love the fact that New Zealand played England. I think it was in the semi-final. Yeah. That if it... We all know what happened in the Cricket World Cup and England winning on... Um, a draw. A draw and count back. But if it, it would go back to points in the round games, yeah. and England would have gone through by one point oh, because geez. they scored one more point in the round games over in New Zealand. I love I love the symmetry between that, and it's great to, to and it's great. We love you, our Kiwi friends, if you are listening across the ditch. But it is great fun to hang. Nick Reinish, if you're listening in, hope you hope you have any good night as well. Let's oh, go geez, to Nick. let's go let's let's go to a party that um that has been going on all year. This is a party we all want to be a part of. <laughs> we'll give you a couple of clues who we're talking about. She debuted at the Australian Open at the age of 15 and cracked the top 200 in that same year. She won in that year the 2011 Junior Wimbledon title. She rose through the double ranks, touted as one of the next big things. Pressure became too much for this proud Queenslander who took time away to play cricket for the Brisbane Heat, but on her return, didn't this mighty mouse roar. We are, of course, talking about... Ash Barty and the never-ending Barty Party. Oh, you love a bit of Ash Barty, don't you, Caruso? But it is one of the success stories. In in a sport of like tennis that Australia dominated for so long, but when you look at the men's competitors at the moment, it's only bad news story after bad news story after bad news story. 
Aspartis had to go on a long journey to get where she is right now. She had she didn't have a lot of success, as you said, debuted very at a very early age on the professional tour. Didn't have a lot of success. Had to take some time out of the way, time away from the game. Played for the Brisbane Heat in the WBBL. She wasn't bad either. I think she could have got a few bigger, higher scores, but it wasn't a time. I don't think she would have survived now. Mm. I think because she was there at an early time in the competition, because of the rate of growth of the BBL between BBL 1 and now, I don't think she could have survived now. But it was perfect time for her to be there because you go from a, a sport like tennis where you're an individual, you might have a small team, a coach, maybe an occasional Dumbles player, some family around you. Fed you go Cup maybe as well. Yeah, but you're not in that environment for very long. Yeah. Where you go into a cricket team where you're with these people day in, day out for an extended period of time. It can change your mindset on a lot of things. And I think that was what the best thing for Ash Barty was, is that she was able to get out of the mundane, the grind that is the tennis tour, where you're in a different place every week, you, you don't have that support group or a big support group around you. You're only going to the same one or two people every time. And you go to a cricket team where you and I both know you may not – you get to deal with some people that you love and you, you have more than one or two people that you invite in, but there's always a one or two people in the team where you're not so best buddies with. I don't know about you on your team. We won't go, we won't, we won't go into that. If you're at Warringah Shires, please hit us up on Facebook. You can let us know what what um, what bucket Caruso falls in there. But I think that also helps when you've got to deal with all those different personalities in a team. It can change your mindset on a lot of things and in sport, and you can enjoy things a lot more because you don't take things as seriously. You've got to let things roll off your back. You've got to let that personality in the team that might not make you the happiest – just roll off your back and and just continue on and, and have fun and enjoy the people that you like. So I think that was the best thing for Ash Barty. Getting away from tennis, refine her love for it, change her mindset a little bit, and boy, it did her the world of good. Well, she showed glimpses of things to come in 2017 and 2018. She reached the final of the French Open in the women's doubles. She was teamed up with Casey Delacqua. She won the women's doubles at the US Open, this time teamed up with Coco Vandeweghe. But no one could have predicted what was going to happen in 2019. Quarterfinal, the Australian Open. She beat Maria Sharapova on the way. She won the French Open in a dominant display over Makita Vondrosulva and became the first Australian winner of the French Open since Margaret Court back in 1973. She reached a fourth round of Wimbledon in the US Open in the singles. She reached a final of the US Open in the women's doubles, this time teaming up with, alongside Victoria Azarenka. She won the Don medal. She won the Newcomb medal. She was the ABC Sports Personality of the Year, the female athlete. Do you want me to keep going? Keep going. She was a female athlete of the year. She was a sporting moment of the year, the ITF Fed Cup Heart Award winner. She won the 2019 WTA Finals Championship in China, beating Elena Zvitlina. She achieved the world number one ranking on the 24th of June, 2019, overtaking the Japanese player Naomi Osaka. Uh, and before that, it was Simona Halep who started the year at the world as world number one. It should be remembered. Barty started the year as the world number 15. That's just an amazing rise, isn't it? And it just shows her consistency. There's a lot of players that Australia have had their back, they've, 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 uh, 
They, they want to cheer tennis. They, they want to have to show their support. But there's been a lot of people that have let them down, whether it be off the court or their results not being consistent. Ash Barty is just the picture of consistency, and that's what's let her be able to rise in 2019. Well, the, we should mention the other three title wins she picked up. The Miami Open in March, she beat Carolina Pliskova. The Birmingham Classic, the lead, one of the lead-ups to Wimbledon, she beat Julia Georges. And the doubles, the women's doubles in the Italian Open, again, teaming up with Victoria Azarenka and forming a decent... Um, partnership we should be saying there may the party party roll on into 2020 oh it only can and you can only imagine what it's going to be like this year in, in 2020 at the australian open wasn't really anywhere fancied yes world number 15 at last year's tournament now coming in with one of those top rankings those courts they'll be the must-have tickets in melbourne come january Let's go then to our next one, the 2019 Ashes. They talk about success over England despite the the men's series ending tour. And really, the first thing we could say is that it could have easily been 4-1. Well, there was one guy called Ben Stokes. I think he had a decent series. I, I wouldn't say it was groundbreaking, but, um, but yeah. The only one who stood up, really. He, he was. And it was something that I think, England read a lot of their own press going into this one. As, as it always is, the UK press, Australia coming over, it's the worst team that's toured. Being over there myself in the lead up to it, there was a lot of people riding Australia off. Um, it had Warner and Smith coming back after not playing a lot of cricket, only coming in off the World Cup um, previously. You got Tim Payne as an unproven captain. There was a lot of people that were, that were downing it. And I think England also may have read that into it a little bit. And there was a lot of guys there that didn't step up. They couldn't find a, an opening partner. Uh, Joe Root had a terrible series for, by his accounts if he wanted to be one of those big four in the, in the Joff, world. Joffre Archer was a disappointment, really. He came in and had one really good game, but just showed that he didn't have the gas to go for an entire test series. A test cricket is a completely different game to the, yeah. the one-day form. You, you need to perform consistently. He had one great test match at, at Lords where he made his debut because he had the motor going. But then once those little niggles that come in through a test series, he can't crank that pace up. It brought him back to the field when I think once he made his debut, England put a lot of hopes on him being able to counter Smith through the rest of that test series, and he wasn't able to do it. Let's go. The other thing we'll mention, of course, the women's, the, Austra the Australian women's continue their dominance over England, displaying some of the best all-round performances seen in some time. We want to focus on the three success stories. And the first one is a perennial success story. And we mentioned her at the top of the show, the face of women's cricket now, Elise Perry. Well, what, what can you say about Elise Perry that hasn't been said everywhere else? Like, she is the face of the women's game. You, we, we, we told the story earlier about... The kids coming two and a half hours just to watch her play and, and her reaction afterwards and, and going and meeting the kids. She she is the, the face that cricket needs in the women's game. She can bat, she can bowl, she can field. She's a role model that young girls and boys, I, I won't, I'll, I'll stop myself there. Boys can do a lot worse than looking up to Elise Perry as a cricketing role model. Hey, I still, I still remember saying Elise Perry to replace Shane Watson at three. <laughs> 
That is still my one day, one day goal. I want to see Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy playing for the Sydney Sixers men's side. I still want to see that happen one day. But well, I've got to say, Elisa Healy is probably this. I think is probably the, uh, the the second or third best keeper in Australia. Pure, pure, keeper. oh, pure keeper, definitely. And then and then what she can do with the bat as well. But for a face for the game, she obviously when she came through, she was a dual international, played football as well. Cricket won out, I think, because they were able to offer her more. Football wanted her to continue mainly just down the football path and give cricket away, whereas cricket were happy for her to to play both. Mm. Um, so I think that's what ended up leaning her towards cricket and cricket were able to get things moving for her quicker than football were able to. I think football had a big loss with her concentrating yeah. on cricket. But it, it just shows that when you, have, when you have that it factor and you tick all those boxes, it just shows that what you can do for a game, what one person can do. Because you can go David Warner, ticks a lot of those boxes, but he doesn't have that it factor. He doesn't have that likable ability that Elise Perry has. Well, not in my mind. No one has a bad word to say about Elise Perry. Definitely. No one. No one. Anybody, teammates, opposition, administrators, fans, everyone, media, Everyone has a great word to say about Elise and, Perry. Uh, and, and that's going to be continued on for the next person who Mizzy and I will openly <laughs> admit is probably our gay crush at the moment. Man crush. Man crush. Pat Cummins. Oh. Postman Pat. Mate, if you if I could bowl the ball as quick as him, hit the ball as far as him, I'd be a happy man. Look like that. Just have all the women. He's a decent-looking bloke, let's face Mate, it. So. Uh, that, that would just be – if I could just go to sleep one day, wake up and be him – I'd be a happy man. <laughs> he much has been said about um, making about this making someone making the series of his his own, but he was Mister Consistency in that Ashes series. And what's even more incredible, he didn't record a single five wicket haul in that series. He didn't have to. He he's that bowler now for Australia. He's the leader of the bowling attack. And something that I don't actually mind is that he's just that man that will get three, 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 every innings and do his every job. Every time. Do his job and he can play multiple roles, almost like a Glenn McGrath type role. He can come on and be attacking and look for wickets, but he's also now the man that Tim Payne can turn to to give him tight overs. If you told me that two years ago, that Pat Cummins would be our Mr. Consistency, the guy we could throw the ball to bowl overs with, I would have been putting you in the psych ward with everyone else. But he's been able to step up to that role. He was the only pace bowler to bowl all five test matches. And boy, he just keeps getting better and better with every game. Hasn't got a bad straight drive either. Oh no, that's But that's the one thing, because yeah. of all the time he spent out of the game, He's been able to develop his batting to where he is a very dependable number eight. And yeah. that's what you need in a test match side these days. You need guys at eight and nine that are also going to be able to bat with batsmen and contribute runs. Now, the next one, we're going to have to try and limit ourselves because we could go all <laughs> night about him. Uh, the talk of the town now is the form of Marnus Lovershane, who filled in for him following the concussion injury. But this series was a redemption series for one Steve Smith. And Steve Smith, we were lucky enough that we, we saw a lot of Steve Smith through that year that he was out calling the Kingsgrove T20. We, we, we ran into him a couple of times calling and 
we saw things that the the mainstream media, because we're, we're not anything less, but we're just not mainstream, but we're the media. We saw things that the mainstream media didn't see. We saw him with his teammates. We saw him with the fans, the young kids that came along to watch him. At Manly Oval, sitting at the top of the dressing room there in where the- On an esky. On an esky. Kids lined up way back down the stairs. He sat there for nearly two hours. Every selfie, every autograph, every request, he was more than happy to... Uh, to every, um, every Adam Crossway photo bomb as well. <laughs> That's Adam Crossway. You can't keep him out of anything, can you? It's not about you, Adam. We Just love you. you know, yeah, well, you're in Melbourne now. You can't come and do anything to us, but... Again, that just shows the character of the man that he is, and that's why I wanted to start with that because, again, with David Warner, I could go on there about that. That's another podcast. Again, my feelings on how he handled that 12 months off and all it was was a PR spin to him. But Steve Smith, it was real, and you could see it in him, and it was a thing that you could tell. It was real to him. He wanted to make the most of that year, and he did. And I thought he was great, and that's why when it when he came back, it made it all the sweeter to see him score all those runs and lead Australia with the bat in that series. Absolutely. By the time that England thinks they may have uh, exposed the chink in the armour, and I think New Zealand may have um, really done a number to show that it is real there, it was too late. He'd already amassed 774 runs, the second, the third highest tally by an Australian in an Ashes series of all time, behind only Bradman's 900 in the 1930 Ashes. And we should mention Mark Taylor's 870 in 1989. Well, that's just two. They're two memorable series by two legends of our game of batting. Steve Smith being up there should be no surprise. It was one of those get one of those things with Steve Smith. It was always he was always going to be hiding to nothing. He was always going to have that English crowd against him. He didn't let it bother him. He let the bat do the talking, and boy, did it do the talking. Now it would be a miss for us to to do this without mentioning the amazing performance pulled by one of our sponsors. Oh, we're going to mention the sponsors. We're going to mention plug. We're, yeah. we'll, we'll steal anything. Yeah. Uh, and, we, of course, we are talking about the all-about-caring Sydney Bears. I'm glad you can get it right. Tony yeah. never can. Uh, having to share a market with the Sydney Ice Dogs, having seen their spiritual home at the Macquarie Ice Rink put under major threat at the start of the season. Remember, we were covering that at the start of the year as well. We were. It was, yeah. it was a big topic on yeah. the bench. Um, with a couple of big mid-season transfers occurring, um, people were wondering whether the Sydney Bears would even make the finals. And it was no surprise that the CBR Brave won the H. Newman Reed Trophy Bowl for finishing first in the league with a lineup including the incomparable Jesse Gabriel, backed up by Weheb Daj, Matt Klimi, Matt Harvey, Adam Kambitz, and Bailey Kubara. They ended up going through the season with only one regular loss and one overtime loss, while Sydney Best scraped through into the finals with 15 wins, 11 losses, and two overtime wins. The expectation, Sydney had done well to make the finals, They'd get bounced out by the CBR Brave who'd go on and win the, the finals. How wrong we were. Well, we certainly were. And this shows the rocket strappers that we are here at Triple H Sports and the bench and splinters. You get on board with us, 
you're guaranteed premiership. We, we are the rocket strappers, aren't we? In we a are. big way. Um, in an inspired performance, headed up by the brilliant Danik Gauthier and supported by returning captain Michael Schlamp, who came back a month early from a serious knee injury. No one expected him to be back for the rest of the season. He was back for the finals. The Sydney Bears caused the boil over the competition by beating CBR Brave 6-4 in the semifinals. And any thoughts of a hangover from the finals were scrapped on either side of the first term break when the Bears scored four goals in six minutes to overcome a 2-0 lead taken by the other surprise package, which was the Perth Thunder. The Sydney Bears, they ran out winners 5-2 and in doing so became the first team from Sydney to win the good old cup since 2013, won by the Ice Dogs back then, and the first time that they won the competition since 2007. That's just amazing. And it just shows that finals can be another competition and you got to treat it as such. All that form throughout the year, particularly the CBR Brave, just counts for naught. You've got to play that game. The Bears did that. They're the champions. They're our sponsors. I look forward to continuing that partnership into 2020. And I look forward to hopefully going back to the Macquarie Ice and calling another game there. Well, I said you, you guys dragged me out there. I had to run the bench and, and panel the panel the show for the um, for the coverage as well. And but you loved it. I, it was a good experience, mate. We can even have a look here in the Chroma studio. I still have the puck. The puck's there. The puck is here that got hit into our commentary area while we were calling the game. That wasn't far away from us either. No, it, it almost took my head off. Yeah, exactly. And we were able to find it, and I still have it here in the Chroma studio. So who were the no-surprise champions Oh, this, this this can take 30 seconds. This will take 30 seconds indeed. First one I'm going to throw up is Formula One with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. You're going to dispute that a little bit. Well, they had to work hard. They said Ferrari came out of the box, but they really let themselves down in that back end of the year. But Lewis Lewis Hamilton in particular and Mercedes, they just showed the, the, the champion team that they are. Lewis Hamilton is undoubtedly the best driver in the world, so... He deserved that title, but it is one for Ferrari. They've got a lot of problems there that they need to fix going into 2020. The AFL expected that Geelong, Brisbane, and Richmond would dominate the year, and it was absolutely no surprise with Richmond taking the flag. Oh, of course not. They were they were heavy favourites throughout. They had the roster, and they used it to their advantage, and they went through and won the big one. Yeah, absolutely. Destroyed GWS in that final as well. Oh, they? well, that's a success for a GWS finally making the final. AFL would have been happy about that. Absolutely. NRL, no surprise the Sydney Roosters winning. No surprise Melbourne was up there again. Um, the Sydney Roosters look like they're going to be competitive once again next year. Well, loss of Cooper Cronk will be big if um, Luke Keary can stand up there and who'll wear the number six. But all those bit players that are around him, Tedesco, Jake, a friend in, in the dummy half role, it'll just be seamless. Whoever whoever goes into that spine will fit in, fit in like a glove and they'll be up there again in 2020. Now, one that's still a work in progress, but I think we're going to be building for success um, is our upcoming women's sports show. Now, we've seen niche sports podcasts rising for women, and in particular, the Ladies Who League and the Ladies Who League spin run by Mary Constantopoulos, um, and including contributions from Mel McLaughlin, Erin Mullen, and I think even recently, um, Ishigua. Well, she'd have a lot of free time while she's over here calling, so that'd be great if she got on board with that as well. Well, Triple H is aiming to go one better. We're going to have our own women's sports show live. Well, it is something we've been working very hard with behind the scenes. Everyone can see the addition of the ladies and the women that we've had to our coverage, whether it be on Sunday Live, whether it be on 
the bench on a Friday night or even Zoe Benjamin who made a splinters debut a couple of weeks ago. We are starting to integrate some very talented ladies into our lineup who have been not a surprise, but have just been phenomenal how they've been able to show their insight and their entertaining across a platform that I don't want to be sexist here, but a lot of women are on TV because how they look. Radio is not a look. It is a listen, and we've, we're getting the ladies you want to listen to. Absolutely. We can confirm at this stage that we've got at least two um, big names are going to be heading it up. Alex Bellamy, the captain of the Hornsby Lions women's And sevens. everybody would have been hearing Alex throughout the year. Quality. Yeah. Zoe Benjamin, the recent addition, and boy, isn't she, isn't she a, a, a pocket rocket. Oh, definitely a pocket rocket. Bring something different to Alex. But a, a, a good insight from cricket and from football, invaluable. Sarah Mushka, who's currently over in um, in England competing in the Miss Universe competition. We wish her all the very best, but someone with AFL and rugby league experience. Well, having her on our, on our rugby league coverage, yes, she was turned a few heads, and yes, we've got a couple of good stories from when we've been calling games that Channel 9 have been there, but her across... And her knowledge across the Canterbury Cup, yes, her brothers play for the Bulldogs, so she spends time watching that competition. She put that to good use, and it just shows that, yes, she, a lot of people will know her for that, for, for the Miss Universe stuff, but, boy, people will be knowing her soon enough for her, for her um, commentary work. And we're going to have contributions as well from one of your favourite people of all time, <laughs> Chloe Walker. I think that's something the Lord Mayor's made up. But, well, yes, we've had Chloe on the show before. She obviously worked a bit more with the, with our Lord Mayor's with the ice hockey. But someone, that, another great contributor. There'll be more. Um, you've, you've probably heard throughout the bench, throughout Sunday Live, we've given little teasers throughout the second half of the year. There are people that are interested. It is something that we want to move into because I can tell you, there is a market for it. We want to give it to the people and it will come. Don't don't you worry. Absolutely. We we should also mention as well our collaborations that we've been doing with a new website. Um, we're going to see more of that coming up. Today's Tale, the Northern Beach Sports Tribune with um, with Matt Cleary, our good friend, uh, North Shore Sports, which Tony Dawson is, is working very hard on at the moment, Cricket Sydney, and our new collaboration um, that we're doing with Pat Cullen at Two For None. Well, I'll go back to today's tale first. Obviously, they're all under the same banner there. It's been great. I've been doing some work with the Tribune um, on the Northern Beaches here, getting some good likes on that. Tony's been doing some stuff with North Shore Sports. Cricket Sydney's been posting all our Splinters podcasts that have been around cricket up for more people to listen to, which has been amazing. We look forward to contributing to that, whether it is with podcasts or with written articles as we go forward. But Pat Cullen was an interesting one. All he did was come along with Heidi Cheadle on Women's Grand Final Day. She said she had a friend that was looking forward to getting into some commentary. Boy, that was a great master luck for us. A funny guy, has his own podcast, Two for None. I've been able to get to catch up on a few lately. I actually made my debut on Two for None this past week. So make sure you go chain out that, tune into that the last episode of Two for None. You'll be able to hear me on that one. We look forward to be able to work with him more. You'll hear him some more on our cricket calls as we go forward and you'll hear some more of me and hopefully some more and, and hopefully we'll get a little bit of Caruso on there as well going forward too. Well, you and I will be bowling in partnership again, will we? 
Like no, I think he up. likes me more. Oh, that'll be right. <laughs> that is full. That is full time here on Splinters. On that note, I want to thank the wise man Matt Mears for joining us for this uh, very special edition here, and what a way to wrap up Christmas Eve. Well, I know it was a big pleasure for you to host me in this podcast, and uh, <laughs> for the final one, I don't know when I'll be back on air um, after this. Hopefully, I'll be there for the final bench of 2019. We will have a special guest that may be in the studio. Maybe not. Maybe I'm better if he won't be. But if I don't get on that episode, I do want to wish everyone a thank you for the big success that the people, that our listeners put in for 2019 because we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. Absolutely. On behalf of everyone on Splinters, we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM and streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. And with thanks to Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore, and your AIHL champions, the all about caring Sydney Bears. That's Matt Mears. I'm Anthony Caruso. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll